Roster cutdown day is officially upon us. The show is off and rolling. Hour two. Welcome in. If you guys want to get involved, you can do that. 615-737-1045 is the number. We got callers to get to. We'll do that momentarily. Blake Topmeyer, who's the USA Today SEC columnist, will join us because, of course, it is game week in the volunteer state. And we will not just talk balls with Blake, even though he spent many years on the Tennessee beat. We will spend some time on the rest of the conference as a whole. Cameron Wolf, the NFL Network at 1220. A lot of stuff to get to. Also, our Tennessee high school hero of the week. Lucas had an interview with Lipscomb running back Alex Broom, so stick around for that at the end of the hour. But in the meantime, we've been talking about backup quarterbacks, and I had told, I had said, based on the last call that we got, that I disagreed with how much people are focused on the backup quarterback, especially given that I've just made a whole bit about the backup quarterback mattering now more than ever because of an expanded regular season, an expanded postseason, you need you need competency behind your starter. And not everybody can find it, right? So, and also, by the way, I would say something to factor into this equation. I almost think you have to have a vaccinated backup. Because if you are, if your quarterback, for example, Ryan Tannehill, goes on the COVID list, it would be near impossible for the backup to not be considered a close contact and to have to go through some measure of the protocol as well. I would think that you are putting yourself in the best position to succeed. If we're talking about just strictly competitive advantage, your va- your backup needs to be vaccinated. And I have, I have a funny conversation that we have later about drafting vaccinated players in fantasy football because I got my first draft coming up on Sunday. In the meantime, your call, 615-737-1045. Let's go to Darrington, who wants to weigh in. What's going on, my brother? How are we feeling? Are we good, man? If I sound like a Baptist preacher at a Pentecostal church, I haven't taken my breathing treatment yet, but so just bear with me a little bit. All right, bit. you got it. All right, so 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 this whole Cam Newton, because I heard we were talking quarterbacks right here. That's right. You know how much I love quarterbacks. Now, this ain't Cam Newton is the guy that Dern there beat my Seattle Seahawks uh, if it wasn't for a drive going the wrong way, then he could have bounced it out. Now, could you just imagine an all-Heisman backfield with, 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 with a Cam, a Derrick, and a, and, a, and a Julio out there? It just looks amazing to me. And, and you want to talk about Cam's 20 his last year? Can you tell me the people, uh, who was he throwing to besides a busted Nikhil Harry? who we still trying to figure out what he's going to be. Because I could have sworn that's the same reason why Thomas Patrick Brady wanted to get up out of New England, despite his head coach not wanting him there too. But <laughs> but he had no weapons. So what was Cam actually throwing to? I think with a little bit of – with a little something-something, he might be able to do a little something-something. Better than what we got right now. That's all I'm saying. Now, I get it. We got Tannehill and all this, which I still think is a little mad childish. But we still, we, I think he could do better than what we got. Now I go back to listening, Buck. Hey, I, I'm glad to hear you're feeling better. Get to that breathing treatment. Don't be calling in Sports Talk Radio, Darrington. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't taken your breathing treatment yet, <laughs> out of here. I'm glad he's feeling better. 615-737-1045. Uh, well, you've had. Okay. Yeah, we've done the Heisman I was about to say, haven't we already done the all Heisman backfield experience? In fact, I think I hated that for a very. <laughs> for a substantial period of time because your offense looked constipated with Marcus Mariota. But the Heisman. But the Heisman. 
You know how many guys? Johnny Manziel has a Heisman. All right? RG3's on TV right now. Tim Tebow, also on TV right now, has a Heisman. Sam Bradford, let's you just keep going. Yeah, get the hell out of here with the Heisman thing. It doesn't matter in the NFL. You have to be good at the, at the position. Cam Newton used to be. He is no longer good at the position, even though I acknowledge Darrington's argument that he had nobody to throw to last year. It's why uh, is why Tom Brady, and it's by the way, it's Thomas Patrick Edward Brady, the rare double middle name situation. I find that interesting. Let's go to Jim in Mount Juliet that wants to weigh in. What's up, Jim? Hey, Buck. I uh, finished the last hour talking about uh, John Robinson and some of his hits and misses. Sure. And I'm not going to bash John Robinson. But if, I wanted to ask you a question. If you had a choice to make, and this is what stirs me as a Titan fan, if you had to choose between Chris Ballard from Indianapolis and John Robinson, who would you rather have as your GM? Huh. That's an interesting question. I appreciate the call, Jim. 615-737-1045. I would say, I mean, Chris Ballard's definitely good. And I really like the combination of him and Frank Reich in Indianapolis. And I would if I was a Colts fan. And I wouldn't if I was a Titans fan. So, I think, I mean, didn't we do this a little bit with Vrabel and Reich when Reich, Reich and Ballard just got contract extensions and we kind of looked at their yes. record against each other? So, I mean, they have, so the combination of John Robinson and Mike Vrabel and understanding that there was a year of John without Mike, they have outperformed Ballard and Reich. But just straight up one-to-one general manager-wise, you know, I would have to say, if we're talking about drafting, I'd say Chris Ballard. If we're talking about just roster construction on the whole, I think that John does a good job at patching up his misses in a way that is clear and obvious to everybody. Well, what happens if you can't get the can't get a good edge rusher in the draft? Or if Harold Landry is your best option and that's as good as it's going to get for a while? You go out and pay somebody. What happens if your wide receiver core needs a boost, a shot in the arm, Josh Reynolds is out there, okay, you feel a little better about it. Day three uh, in a loaded wide receiver class, eh, trade up for Des Fitzpatrick, probably looks bad in retrospect. Well, there's Julio Jones, and there's no real market for Julio Jones. Let's go out and trade a second for him. I think that I think that you can pick apart their drafts, and probably that will be the way that they're most often judged. But I think you have to look at the at the full picture on the whole and say that ultimately – the Colts haven't won a division title in a long time. It's been almost seven years. The Titans are coming off a stretch where they've made the postseason three times in the last four years, where they've been to the AFC title game, where they've won their division, and their roster right now looks better than it ever has. It may, I mean, maybe it comes off as homerism. But I think that John has done a better job right now as we sit here today on, what is it, August 31st, 2021. I think he's done a better job than Chris Ballard. It doesn't mean Chris Ballard's bad. In fact, I think Chris Ballard's great. I just think that the record right now, if we're to judge them on their success from the team on the field and the roster construction is such, and also I hate Carson Wentz, and that's who Chris Ballard traded for his quarterback. Yeah, a lot of with Ballard hinges on what happens with Carson Wentz in Indianapolis. Yeah, so if my theory proves to be true, it's, great. it's John Robinson all the way. All right, one more call, and then we'll talk about the uh, we'll talk about the Vols quarterback situation. 
Because Blake Topmeyer is coming up next, SEC columnist for USA Today. Let's go to Mike, who wants to weigh in. He agrees with me. Hello, Mike. Yo, what's up? Cuz on Mike, man. The person. How we live. Always calling you duck. Oh, okay, I'm living good, good man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, duck drowning. But, uh, now, nah, man, look, all seriousness, I was calling to agree with you, bro. Cause, uh, this is, this is straight like asinine at this point. Like, this is ridiculous. Every time I think Titans fans, we have suffered from constantly wanting national attention so much. Yeah. Anytime there's a big name, it's like, we got to go get them. We got to go get them. Why, why is this even a discussion for this long? There's no point in thinking about Cam Newton coming to the Titans when one, the season is almost here. Two, we got a backup quarterback that's been in this same system for, what, two years now. And then on top of that, Cam Newton is not the same Cam Newton. That ain't Superman. If he's Superman, it, it, he was Superman after after Batman then broke him down a whole lot and he was going off the face of the earth. Okay? Stop it. Please. We don't have to go and pick up every big name that gets national attention as Titans because we're going to make our own national name now. We're going to do this ourselves. As far as John Robinson go, y'all want to play ifs and buts, candy and nuts so much. If Jameis Winston did, does really good with the Saints this year, crown John Robinson because that was his draft pick to the Buccaneers. Quit playing, y'all. Come on now, tighten up. We don't need Cam Newton. We're going to ride ourselves. Doses. Man, rack him. That's a hell of a call by Mike. You love to see it. Woo. Oh, is that new? Look at us at the highest level of radio production. <laughs> no, we use that at your geography bee. Oh, good. <laughs> Can we start doing that with calls? Because, you know, we're going to be a hacky, you know, produced morning show or mid midday show, whatever the hell this is. Not like the hacky produced morning show that the current hack right. producer is walking in and out of the studio. <laughs> I can't hear you. I've got my headphones on. Jonathan Schaefer, everybody. <laughs> we'll come back and we'll talk with Blake Topmeyer of the SEC Network. Vols, game week. Thursday, this is 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back here on 104.5 The Zone. I love when Lucas is directing traffic behind the scenes. Just screams in my ear, hey, lay out for the song for a minute. Then acts like I don't have a sense of rhythm. I, don't, I know when to hit the beat. Out of my ear. Like Topmeyer. Of USA Today, SEC columnist is here with us now because it is game week. Week zero is in the books. It was horrendous. Now we can actually move on to real football. Blake, how are, how are we living? You excited? <laughs> Much more excited for week one than week zero, yes. Dear God, what what is why why is Nebraska? I, let me just say this. Nebraska, why? Well, not only that, I, I tried to watch the... Uh, the, the UCLA-Hawaii game, oh. too, because I thought, okay, you know, UCLA is going to be playing an SEC team this week. I'm, I'm going I'm to watch that. And then, what was it? By the end of the, the first quarter, UCLA was up by, like, 24 points or something, and, and that's all I lasted there. So, yes, uh, certainly much more looking forward to, to week one here. Indeed. So, what I guess what matchup most excites you in week one, understanding that we'll see the SEC teams play a, a little – lighter of a schedule than they would until they hit conference play obviously is it is it us uh, ucla lsu well i think that's the the sneaky good one yeah i mean right off the top it's hard to to look past uh, georgia clemson obviously that's that's you know certainly the headliner but i think once you once you get past that that choice i, I think ucla 
um, LSU is is pretty intriguing. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna know, I think, right from the jump here. Uh, is this going to be the bounce back season for LSU that that many expect? That I expect, frankly. I think this is a team loaded with with talent. I don't expect a repeat of last year's bust in which the Tigers went five and five. Or um, is it going to go the other way and be more evidence that that 2019 was more uh, the exception than the rule under Ed Ogeron and was more a byproduct of of Joe Burrow than it was Ed Ogeron? Uh, I'll be curious to see. I think we're going to learn a lot about LSU here in, in week one because uh, I know Hawaii's not great, but UCLA looked pretty salty last week. Oh, don't don't let's not do the Chip Kelly is back thing. I'm not. It's too. It's <laughs> no, too early that for that storyline. I can't do no, but it. They yet. do return a lot of starters. You know, I, I think UCLA could be decent this year. Uh, I, I really think that could be a, a pretty good game. I can't remember who on game day picked them to win the Pac-12, but that did happen over the weekend. Uh, well, what does what does that mean anymore? The Pac-12 doesn't. I, I, I don't even care about Pac-12 football anymore until Oregon and Stanford do something that's relevant. Uh, speaking of of conferences, Blake. I mean, just the SEC. As a whole, even before acquiring Texas and Oklahoma in this coup that's completely reshaping the sport, I mean, this conference has never been stronger as far as I'm concerned. Is that your evaluation of where they sit right now? Well, I I think the West has top to bottom maybe been a little better um, in in a few years than it is right now. I mean, Auburn's not probably functioning at its highest level, I, I think, is a little bit of a, a chink in the armor. But, um, but you know, on the flip side of that, you got Texas A&M, uh, a legitimate top-10 team. Like I said, I think LSU is going to be uh, going to have a bounce-back season. Ole Miss uh, seems to be headed in the right direction. So, yeah, I don't – there's there's probably a couple seasons that, that would come closer, maybe top where the SEC is this year. But, you know, I think the – I think the worst of the worst in, in the West have gotten better. Uh, I mean, I think Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas um, are all improving. I think in the East, the bottom three teams there are, are pretty weak, frankly, in, in Tennessee, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. Um, so I think that's a little bit of a blemish on the SEC. So I would say I think maybe there's been a few years where top to bottom uh, the SEC overall has been better than it is this year. However, um, I, I certainly think the strength of the league uh, at the top is probably as, as good as it's ever been, where you have three legitimate playoff contenders entering the season, I would say, uh, in Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M. Blake Topmeyer of USA Today is here with us on 104.5 The Zone. Of course, you can read his SEC columns on USA Today. Uh, so why is the bet, or excuse me, who is the sleeper team in the East and why is it Kentucky? I think it's Missouri, honestly. I think I think Missouri is is the sleeper in the East, and I, and I give Missouri the nod over Kentucky um, because I I feel better about what Missouri has at at quarterback right. with Connor Basilek, uh coming back. I mean Kentucky, we've seen we've seen the smoke and mirrors act work for Mark Stoops when he when he <laughs> when they, he doesn't have a quarterback and, and just relies on that defense, and maybe Will Levis will will elevate Kentucky's play. Um, at quarterback this season. I mean, you know, the Penn State transfer has won the job. Uh, now the important caveat of the fact that he's a Penn State transfer, he wasn't Penn State starter, so he's a Penn, former Penn State backup, um, has won the job. But I, I think he can elevate Kentucky's quarterback production a little bit. Uh, but still, I, I think I, I take the, the proven commodity there. Um, and Missouri's Connor Basilic, I, I really 
thought he um, he flashed at times last year in his first year as a starter. I think he only stands to get better this year. I think that week two matchup um, between Kentucky and, and Missouri is is a really interesting early season game uh, as it relates to the East. You know, whoever wins that game, I, I think has a hope of finishing as as high as second in the East. Uh, I would still favor Georgia, Florida at the top, but I think if you win that game, you you have you have hope of being able to finish as high as second in the East, uh, lose that game. And I think it's, it's pretty deflating early in the season. Cause I think these teams know like players know they're, they're not stupid. They, they sort of know the teams that they really need to beat. And then the teams you hope to beat, but, but you know, it's probably a long shot. And I think for both those teams, Kentucky and Missouri, that that's a game right early in the schedule week two, uh, that's gotta be circled for both of them as, as a pivotal game. Keeping it in the East, and you mentioned South Carolina as one of those bottom three teams in the division. Uh, the Shane Beamer hire, I feel like, went the most overlooked out of any new coaches in the SEC this year. But I don't know if anybody's had a more turbulent start to their tenure as he gets his staff poached by Brian Harson at Auburn, right, with Mike Bobo and Will Friend mm-hmm. go down to the Plains. And then this story, Blake, about Zeb Nolan, the graduate assistant, a coach on South Carolina's staff, who has one year of eligibility left, used to back up Trey Lance at North Dakota State. He's starting for them in week one against Eastern Illinois. With interest to their co- I mean, this is insane. Has anybody had a crazier start to their tenure this year than Shane Beamer? And what, what do you make of this story? I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, this is fantastic, really. I mean, it's the stuff movie plots are made of. And not only, you know, we could be hung up by the fact that just two months ago that this guy was a graduate assistant. So he's a graduate assistant turned player. That, that's, that's good enough in itself. But I think like the low-key greatest part of this is that he's not North, Car- or North Dakota State's former starting quarterback. He's a former backup quarterback, as you mentioned, uh, for FCS member North Dakota State. So, yes, a former FCS backup has won the starting job uh, at South Carolina. Of course, part of this is because Luke Doty, the, the would-be starter, is not going to be playing in this game. Um, because of a preseason foot injury. So that's, um, that's kind of what, what put all this in motion. Uh, Doty got injured. They needed more quarterback depth. And so Shane Beamer says, uh, I'm going to turn my grad assistant uh, into my new backup quarterback, which means he's going to start the opener. I, it's a great storyline. We'll, we'll see how it works out for him. And I think it speaks to the lack of quarter depth, uh, quarterback depth, obviously, that, that Shane Beamer in, inherited. You know, Zeb Nolan, um, he played at Iowa State before he went to North Dakota State. Uh, gained some experience at at Iowa State, and and Shane Beamer got familiar uh, with him as an assistant coach at at Oklahoma. So they do have some some history. You know, Beamer's been familiar with him for a while, and then and then Nolan headed up to uh, what he thought was going to be finishing his career as a backup at at North Dakota State. But lo and behold, uh, he couldn't start in the FCS, but he can start uh, <laughs> in the greatest conference in the land. That's quite a story. Uh, he did start a few games in the spring, though, for North Dakota State with the season being yeah, pushed and Lance true. preparing yeah. for the draft. But, no, your point stands. It's an amazing story. I, more, than, more than anything, I guess let's just stick with the quarterbacks. I don't know if that, if that storyline is going to be able to be beat, but certainly it is the most interesting position in the, uh, in the most interesting conference. Matt Corral, I mean, you look at Bryce Young, who's unproven, but I'm certain is going to come in at a high level. Uh, you mentioned Connor Bazelak, JT Daniels at Georgia. What, which, which quarterback are you kind of looking at from the standpoint of, okay, they, they have high expectations coming in, but they should be able to perform at the level 
that that their that their program expects of them, that the coaching staff expects of them, and we should see great things from them this year. Yeah, I'm really interested by Haynes King at Texas A&M. You know, the uh, I think the the playoff potential hype for the Aggies is real as long as Haynes King. Uh, plays up to his recruiting billing. Uh, I mean, you know, that's that's obviously an important uh, factor there with Texas A&M. We, we know they return a, a loaded defense. Uh, they return talent at, at, at skill positions, uh, but they lost Kellen Mond. Um, so you you, you, you got to get, um, you know, good production from, from Haynes King there at quarterback if you're going to have any hope um, of, of crashing the party in the SEC West. And, and actually – it would be threading the needle, but you can envision a way in which Texas A&M could make the playoff without even beating Alabama. Um, you know, let's say Alabama goes undefeated. Texas A&M loses in a really close game there in October, but otherwise runs the table. I think you could you could lay out some scenarios uh, where the Aggies could still make the, the playoff as a, as a one-loss team. But to, to do that, you got to get good production from, from Haynes King. So I think um, yeah, of all the, let's say, new quarterbacks or quarterbacks stepping into maybe a bigger role right. this year that I'm interested by, I think Haynes King is, is the one that's probably most on my radar. Blake Topmeyer, SEC columnist for USA Today, is here with us on 104.5 The Zone. You can follow him at B. Topmeyer. I, would, I never would have guessed that we would have made it 12 minutes into this, like, without talking about Tennessee. But, of course, you know that that's where we have to gravitate towards. What, what do you need to see from Josh Heupel, from now starting quarterback Joe Milton, to to discern that they have legitimately taken a step forward as they try to get this thing back on the tracks? I think quarterback development would be huge. You know, I think the defense, I think, is going to struggle this year. I think what Josh Heupel inherited defensively uh, was bleaker than what he took over offensively. And then, and then we also know that Heupel's track record um, is as an offensive guy, it's a guy who's developed uh, really good quarterbacks, really wherever he's been. Um, so, so to believe that Josh Heupel is going to get Tennessee headed in the right direction, I, I think I need to see in year one that he's going to have a positive impact on this offense, and that first and foremost starts with a positive impact uh, on, on quarterback. I mean, you, you really think um, Tennessee hasn't had acceptable quarterback play since 2016. Uh, you know that's that's a long time, and it's a, it's hard in today's college football uh, to field a, a good team when you don't have good quarterback play. Um, and and I think you know that's what he was hired to do. Yes, he was hired to, to elevate the program overall, but uh, you know you look at Josh Heupel's resume and and what made him qualified for this job um, is what he's done offensively and with quarterbacks. You go back to him being you know Sam Bradford's position coach at Oklahoma, and then you look what he did with Drew Locke in two seasons as his offensive coordinator at Missouri. Um, and then everybody kind of forgets that what Dylan Gabriel did at, at UCF. I know it was a group of five, but still, Dylan Gabriel led the nation last year in passing yards per game. So everywhere Josh Heupel has been, he's had a positive effect uh, on the quarterbacks. No surprise from someone who was a, a Heisman runner-up himself. Um, and, and for as bad as Tennessee's quarterback production has been since Joshua Dobbs' exit, um, regardless of, of what the record might say this, this year, I think that would provide some hope for the future for Vols fans uh, if they see that, that offense uh, putting up more points on the board this year, if they see the, uh, the quarterbacks, whether it be Joe Milton or whoever, looks like it's going to be Joe Milton off the bat here, 
um, you know, providing better production than what Tennessee has seen in recent years. Does any player on this roster stand to benefit more than Jalen Hyatt from the coaching change? Yeah, he's he's probably a, a good one. I think he was underused last year. I think a lot of freshmen were were underused last season. I, I think he's going to have a big year, uh, certainly for for Heupel. You know, people talk about Heupel's offense. You know, it's the up tempo RPOs, and it is all that. But a lot of times, when you think about like RPO heavy offenses. Uh, and Josh Heupel does have one of the most RPO-based offenses in the country. You think like the, the quick short slants, um, you know, the quick outs, that type of stuff. And, and there's some of that. But Josh Heupel loves <laughs> to, to dial up the deep passes. Um, I mean, if you think back to, to when he was offensive coordinator at Missouri, Drew Locke threw it deep really probably more than anybody else in the SEC during that two-year stretch. And so uh, especially with Joe Milton winning the, uh, the starting quarterback job, we know Milton has a big arm. Uh, I think Hyatt's one of those guys that stands to benefit. Uh, he's going to get plenty of chances to to run deep downfield. And not to say that Hyatt's a one-trick pony, but I do think that, you know, right off the jump, what, what you really like about him is his speed. He's one of the fastest guys on the roster. We saw that, um, you know, at times when he was used last year. And, and I think he's going to get a much, much bigger opportunity um, here as, as a sophomore. With the local college football team Vanderbilt we spend so so little time on them just because interest level dictates that we don't but I I think that Clark Lee coming home to Nashville Nashville native Vanderbilt alum I I don't know that anybody has a bigger challenge in this conference this year or really just in his tenure given his position uh than Clark Lee is that is that the same way that you're kind of looking at this or what is your assessment of Vanderbilt, and they've just named Ken Seals their starting quarterback as we sit here discussing this, by the way. Yeah, I, I think for Clark Lee, it's uh, it, it's probably in, in some ways what we normally expect for, for Vanderbilt, right? Like, it's it's the most challenging job in, in the SEC, and, and I don't think that's, uh, that's necessarily changing anytime soon. The one thing I will say, though, uh, for Clark Lee is, is I do think there's an opportunity here. you got three new coaches – in the SEC with, with him, Josh Heifel and Shane Beamer in South Carolina. you got three programs um, in those three programs that I think are all down right now. Um, and so that's not to say everybody's starting from exactly the same spot at those three schools, but I think all three are in a pretty bleak place as it stands. Um, and so, okay, you know, the, the, your, your first job for Clark Lee is elevating yourself past South Carolina and, and Tennessee. And I think that's a fair ask to do, you know, within the first couple years of, of his program, because you're all starting, you know, sort of in the same place here. I mean, you know, we can say that, that Tennessee should be a higher, uh, on a higher rung, but you look at the, uh, the mass exodus uh, that occurred during this past offseason, and I really don't think that Tennessee's starting off on all that much of a higher rung than, than what Vanderbilt is. So that's task one is, um, you know, is, 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 is elevate your program past those other peers that started at the same point as you. Um, and then you can, can get to work and start chasing uh, Missouri, Kentucky, and, uh, and what have you. But I do think certainly uh, remains the biggest challenge in, in the SEC. I do think, though, for Clark Lee, um, it is, uh, in so much as there is any advantage, slight advantage, the fact that he's coming in at the same time as two other new coaches in the SEC East. All right, 30 seconds or less for Blake Topmeyer. Does Miami stand a single chance in hell against Alabama? Uh, to cover the spread, maybe. I think that 18, <laughs> that 18 and a half point spread pretty broad yeah. um, for two teams in the top 15. And you look at some of some of Alabama's season openers; they don't always just totally destroy 
the competition. Yes, there was like the USC game and a couple others, but you know, if you think back to those wins over over Wisconsin, Florida State, you know, sometimes they can kind of settle for that that 17 to 20 point victory. So maybe they cover the spread, but no, it's it's not going to be closer than two touchdowns. Alabama will uh, will will win with some comfortability there. At B Topmeyer is where you can follow Blake Topmeyer, SEC columnist for USA Today. Blake, thanks for the time. Enjoy the football, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, guys. There's a lot there. Texas A&M to make the playoff this year is interesting because I would have thought that if they were going to legitimately make a push for the Final Four, it would have been with last year's team. Yeah, that's what Tomahawk Chop said in the chat, that if they couldn't make it at 9-1 and one last year, then they got to run the table, right? But I think if they had played, just played Alabama closer last year, they got blown out in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, the optics of that game were horrendous. If that game's a 7-10 to 10 point difference, I think A&M's in the playoff last year. I mean, they were that fifth spot going into the playoff. I would have liked to see them in the playoff. Be, really. It all depends on Haynes King. Yes. Thank you for stealing Blake Topmeyer's analysis. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come back. Speak. So I'm going to let Lucas steal the show. Coming up next, Lipscomb running back Alex Broom. Big performance over the weekend. Really, you know, an interesting weekend for Lipscomb. Nonetheless, but we are going to have our Tennessee high school football hero segment. Coming up next, Lucas sat down with Alex Broom, and you'll hear that conversation on the other side. Welcome back. Here on 104.5 The Zone, we're here with you until 1 o'clock. So are you, enjoy, you enjoying the new Kanye album? Or is, should I call him Ye? Because is that like, a, that's a, officially his name now? Yeah, it's like a Meta World Peace thing. Okay. Except, um, you know. It's well, all right. I mean, the Meta World Peace, you, you, watch the, you watch the Malice of the Palace documentary on Netflix, right? Yes, I did. I, I learned a lot. I think well, right? I don't really remember that. Well, neither do neither did I. Even though that happened to the Pacers and the Pacers are my NBA team, um, except now that I live in Tennessee, I love the Grizzlies because I love John Morant. But anyway, uh, you know what? We'll talk about this later. In the meantime, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I had a little spiel prepared. But big weekend for Boston College commit and Lipscomb running back. Alex Broom, this this game, now this game got the headlines because of Trent Dilfer's freak out on the sideline, and I'll, I'll probably talk a little bit about that afterwards. But this man, 211 yards, five touchdowns on 15 carries. And that's not including 65 receiving yards and another touchdown on two catches. Six total touchdowns on the day. Outrageous. So every Tuesday at 11.45, and by the way, if you want to start nominating like who we should have as the TN High School Hero of the Week, because we're going to do it every Tuesday. Uh, we've we've really enjoyed this, and we want to find a way to, you know, make sure that local high school athletes are being recognized for their accomplishments, and, and certainly everybody loves Friday Night Lights. So Lucas and Will Bowling, they are on the call for the high school game of the week each and every week here on 104.5 The Zone, and he had the opportunity to catch up with Alex Broom. Joined now by Lipscomb Academy running back Alex Broom after one heck of a performance on Friday in Lipscomb Academy's 62-7 win against Independence at home. Uh, Alex, it's tough to come out week one, win a game 76-7, to and then almost one-up that 
the next week, especially against one of the better high school programs in the public school sphere in the middle in the mid state, man. Congratulations on a great win on Friday. How you doing? Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. I'm doing great. I'll jump right into it here. You talked to Joe Spears of the Tennessean right after the game, and, and you told him you knew you were in for a special night right out the gate with the first carry. How did you know that? What what gave you that feeling right in the beginning? Just our, I knew all throughout the week, our preparation, we did everything we were supposed to do. So I already felt good coming into the game. And then after that first carry, I just knew, like, holes open, O-line, moving a lot of scrimmage. I just knew that that night was going to be big. 15 carries, 211 yards, and five touchdowns on the ground. Throw in a couple of catches, 65 yards, and a touchdown. It was just one of those nights for Lipscomb Academy running back Alex Broom in a big win against Independence. Uh, Alex, they stuck with you all night. The big guys up front were put to work a little bit, whether it was the defensive lineman for Independence or your own offensive lineman chasing you around all night when you would break a run. What kind of relationship do you have with your offensive lineman? It's a great one. They're all big, goofy teddy bears. Uh, I love them all. It's just that that bond we have is special. Them blocking for me and me trusting them to make those blocks. You know, now in week three, you guys get a week off. Obviously, unfortunate circumstances as the game against Good Pasture is canceled due to COVID. But Lipscomb Academy, through its first two games now, have won by a combined score of 138-14. to I know last season ended in disappointment, losing to CPA in the Blue Cross Bowl. With this start to the season, what is this team out to prove in 2021? Um, I feel like we're out to prove that it's not the same Lipscomb as last year. That we're, I feel like we're more explosive this year. Defensively, we've gotten better. Just all around as a team. We still have the best coaching staff in the country, the best strength coach. So just building on what we did last year and getting back to that point, and just finishing. What part of your game have you really honed in on throughout the offseason? I know you got your college commitment kind of out of the way in June. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But at the high school level, what part of your game have you really tried to hone in on and improve as you guys do pursue that state championship? Probably just short area bursts and also hitting the long ball because that's what a lot of college coaches want to see. And also that you don't have to be the fastest guy always, just in those tight spaces, being to make guys miss, um, get those extra yards, and fight through contact in the world. Yeah, your head coach, Trent Dilfer, said after the game on Friday, too, that because of your size and your speed, you kind of get that speed back label, which obviously there's nothing wrong with that, but he did say that he thinks you're just as good of a power back as you are a speed back. So how much do you take pride in that ability to run between the tackles? Um, I take pride in a lot because, as you said, I've been labeled, I guess, a speed guy because I'm smaller in stature. But it's the low center of gravity, and it's it's a pride thing that not not one person, that first person is not getting on, getting me on the ground ever. So, Alex, you committed in June. You made it official. Boston College is your college destination as part of the class of 2022. Why Boston College? You've gotten some looks, places like Appalachian State, even in town, Vanderbilt, some really good schools as well, Richmond, Dartmouth, on an impressive offer list. Why did it end up coming down to the Boston College Eagles? Well, first, uh, I love the coaching staff. Coach Halfley, he's, he, last year was his first year. I love what they did, even with like the COVID year and everything. Um, I love my position coach, Rich Grinnell. Um, he's a great guy. 
Um, they communicated with the, with me the most throughout my whole recruiting process, even before they offered me. And then when I went up there for my official, just it felt like home. Boston is kind of similar, a little bit to Nashville in a way. And also, it's the school sits 10 to 15 minutes outside of Boston, so you really get that suburban feel, which is a little bit like home. That reminds you a little bit about Lipscomb Academy, right? Yes, sir. So looking down the road a little bit this season, Alex, you guys host Pulaski Academy, a renowned program out of Arkansas, before diving into region play when you're at Franklin Road Academy, at Davidson Academy, and then you head over to East Tennessee to play Knoxville Catholic, another powerhouse program from that side of the state. Uh, what do you relish about playing at a program like Lipscomb Academy that year in and year out, the schedule's going to look like this? I mean, you're playing two out-of-state out of teams. You're playing public school teams. Uh, and, again, your region in the private school sector is one of the best in the mid-state. How much do you guys relish those opportunities week in and week out to try continue playing the best of the best? Um, I just feel like that puts a, that gives us a claim that we can, if we go out and perform as we have, and beat those teams, we can have to claim that we're the best state or the best team in the state. And we all we all feel that way, but we want the state of Tennessee to know that. We want the Southeast to know that. Again, fifteen carries, two hundred eleven yards and five touchdowns for Alex Broom in a sixty two to seven win over Independence on Fridays. Another touchdown in the air with sixty five yards receiving. Alex, last thing for you, man, as you finish out your senior year of high school What's that one thing that you keep going back to as far as where you want to improve the most before moving on to the next level? And now with, you know, at least six or seven games more to do it at the high school level. Really, I just want to, the last thing I really want to accomplish is getting the state championship with this team that we have now. Because I feel the group of seniors that we have is really special. And this feeling in high school, you're never going to get it back. So going out and actually getting back to the championship and winning with them. And then also just getting bigger, getting ready for college. All right. He is Alex Broom, running back at Lipscomb Academy, a Boston College commit, a monster night in a 62-7 win over Independence. They are off this weekend before gearing up for a home game against Pulaski Academy out of Arkansas on September 10th. Alex, thanks so much for the time, man. Congrats again on a huge night Friday. Best of luck down the road this season. Yes, sir. Thank you. That's Lucas Panzika's interview with Lipscomb running back Alex Broom. How the hell did you not ask him about Mike Vrabel, given that he's committed to Boston College? What a missed opportunity by you. I mean, what's he going to say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really looking forward to playing with Tyler Vrabel. Oh, does he come to the games? Do you know anything about him? Have you, have you interacted with Mike Vrabel at all? It's a layup. It's a good interview. Good job out of you. It's slowly, slowly sinking your way, sinking your claws into the show before you knock me out of my chair. Segment by segment. <laughs> we'll come back. I'll see if I can't do the hour, you know, that I'm supposed to do. I'm Buck Rising. This is 104.5 The Zone.